Let us pray. Lord, sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Amen. Isaiah said already, and now I say to you, people of First Lutheran Church and all who are hearing this word, listen, Isaiah said, listen, you that pursue righteousness. And now I say to you, it comes to you now, this righteousness. But this righteousness comes to you in a way that you may not expect. Isaiah says that when you lift your eyes up to the heaven and look at the earth beneath, well then, Isaiah says, the heavens and the earth will vanish like smoke, wear out like a garment. It's maybe not what we expected to hear about the heavens and the earth. And no one wants an earth or heavens or righteousness, for that matter, that wear out. But Isaiah is saying that this is what becomes of your own righteousness and the whole world, for that matter, including your work and your glory, my work and my glory, when they are pursued outside of God's choosing you, outside of God's election. I shared last week about a beloved and departed saint at First Lutheran who, upon my arriving here in 2007, introduced himself to me with this phrase. You might remember, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. Now, and that was a joke, a welcoming joke, uh, but not much has stuck with me as I've been talking about that. Not much is what God thinks of our own sense of righteousness in ourselves and in the world, the kind of righteousness that we go looking for, using our eyes to validate and judge. In fact, it is so not much that it vanishes like smoke, Isaiah says, and wears out like a garment. And even more than that, as we heard this morning, those who live on the earth in their own sense of righteousness apart from God's word, well, they all die like gnats, not a rosy picture. But the last verse we heard from Isaiah gives hope. God says, but my salvation will be forever, and my deliverance will never be ended. Now that all of a sudden sounds pretty good. But how does one get such salvation? Well, before I go much further, I want you to not to see but to hear this salvation. So listen, people of God in Christ. As our psalmist reminded us, a teaching goes out, more than a teaching, a proclamation, and it is your light. It is that though you walk in the midst of trouble, our Lord will keep you safe. He will stretch forth his hand against the fury of your enemies, and his right hand will save you. And what is that right hand? Well, it is none other than Christ himself, who comes for you apart from your works, in spite of them, even. And he takes away your sins, he takes away your glory, your self-righteousness, eventually even the earth and the heavens themselves, but then he leaves in their place his righteousness, his victory over death, and a new heaven, and a new earth. This is his work for you, so that the grace and mercy of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ are yours by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where Isaiah leaves, leaves off, Jesus picks up some 500 years later, but without missing a beat, we hear in our gospel how Jesus asks his disciples, he says, now get on your phone and Google something for me. Google Son of Man. And who does Google say that the Son of Man is? Well, not quite, of course. 
uh, but the equivalent, who do people say that I am? Now we use Google this way to find out what people are saying, what the internet thinks. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples had their answers. They didn't even need phones. They said, well, some say John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus goes further and he says, who do you say that I am? And we're reminded here that Jesus actually leaves the 99 to go after the one, that Jesus is concerned about you. It's more than just the generic masses. And Peter pipes up, as Peter is known to do. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now this answer might sound a bit familiar, for it's the same confession that we heard from the Canaanite woman last week. But here it is Peter's confession, and Jesus right away validates his answer. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Jesus recognizes that Peter has just blurted out this confession out of faith, not out of his own strength or understanding or logic or science or self-righteousness, but only by the power of God the Father. Now, the other Gospels mention that this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Luther reminds us of this in the small catechism as well, that it is not by our own strength or understanding that we come to Christ, but by the Spirit. So it is for Peter. So it is for you. Thanks be to God. And then Jesus continues with Peter. He says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, and Peter is Greek for rock, or Petros, he says, On this rock I will build my church. And while the Roman church will claim that the church is built because of this verse on the office of the bishop and the pope, and Peter here would be the first pope, Luther reminds us that it is not on flesh and blood that makes the church, but the work of the Holy Spirit and the confession that comes from faith. And Peter's confession is the rock now on which the church is built. And Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's an important phrase. It tells us that there is a battle, but that it is won already. Jesus and his disciples, Matthew tells us, were in Caesarea Philippi, this is also a Gentile area, a fairly new place at the time. There were likely building projects going on, new churches being built uh, to the Roman gods and goddesses, false gods. Yet here comes Jesus and says, on this rock, on this confession of faith, that Christ is the only Messiah, the only Son of God, here the true church rests, and nothing will be able to prevail against it, though many will try. And so we learn that there is indeed a battle, but that Christ has won this battle already. Most weeks, uh, we film a pastoral vlog in preparation for worship. Maybe you see this uh, on our uh, social media for First Lutheran. This, this last week, uh, we went out to the front of the church to the beautiful uh, facade of the sanctuary with the steps going down to uh, South Dakota Avenue and there are large stones there which hold up the rest of this beautiful structure. And while out there, I noticed uh, the cornerstone with a year on it, 1924, it says, right out uh, on the steps. 99 years ago, this sanctuary was built in order to proclaim 
the gospel of Christ. Yet beneath these stones are more stones, larger stones, probably a bunch of concrete that was poured 99 or 100 years ago to create a stable foundation so that this place would last a long time. Yet even with solid engineering and design, with hard work, buildings require continued maintenance, tuck pointing in the last year or so, new roofs, many have poured themselves in to the maintenance of not only building this place, but maintaining its structure. And that is how it is in the old world. Nothing lasts forever, and if it is going to last for a while, it takes preservation. Yet, we hear now that the true foundation, the lasting legacy of the church, including First Lutheran, is that the Holy Spirit has given you and continues to give you this confession of faith that Christ takes away your sin. This is the rock-solid foundation. This confession is what the church is built upon, and everything else is sinking sand as we sing in the hymn. In the 1970s, my parents bought a slice of land on one of the uh, numerous Pelican Lakes in Minnesota. They, they uh, slid a shed onto the lot, and we called it our cabin. Uh, we've been going there as a family ever since. Now, about 20 or 30 years ago, uh, people started building larger structures around Pelican Lake, and I can remember there was a family that built a beautiful new house on the way on the other end of the lake at the top of a large hill that looked over uh, Pelican Lake. And they cut all the trees from that embankment so they could see clearly down to the water. And they went to great lengths hiring a landscaper to, uh, with tons of rocks, carve a zigzag path about 100 feet or so down from the house to the water. And it was a marvel for many boaters uh, who floated by. It was really quite a structure. Yet one weekend, we'd, we uh, drove by in the boat to see all of the landscaping, the carefully carved pathway slipping right into the lake. And the house itself, perched on top of the hill, had begun to slide down the hill so that it had to be moved about 100 feet back. I'm told that someone had forgotten the sprinklers on uh, in their landscaping for about a week, and all the water soaked that uh, hill without any trees left in it, and it all started sliding down. So is the church. When we believe that we are here to do something other than share this confession that Christ is the Messiah who comes to take away not only the sins of the world, but your sins. For Christ gives you not only a sure foundation, but the keys to his kingdom. So now these keys, this authority, is none other than this, to say to you that all of your sins, all of your false senses of righteousness, based on what you have done or said or are planning on doing, all of this is loosed, Christ says. You might wonder, what is this to be loosed? Well, it means that you are forgiven. It means that all of these things are taken from you by Jesus, and in their place you get a rock, not only a rock, but the rock of your salvation, who is Christ himself and his perfect righteousness. Here's the church. 
and this will not slip, for you have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. Amen.